Hi, I'm Tom Sherrington. And I'm Emma Turner. Welcome to our new show, Mind the Gap, Making Education Work Across the Globe, where we talk about closing gaps in global education through proven strategies and research-based practices. You'll hear our individual unique perspectives, as well as interviews with some of the most compelling authors and thinkers in the pre-K to 12 ecosystem. And now, enjoy today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Mind the Gap with me, Tom Sherrington and Emma Turner. Mind the Gap, which is about making education work across the globe. And today we are super excited because we are going to be talking to Patrice Bain, who is here with us. So welcome, Patrice. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And whereabouts are you right now? Whereabouts in the world? I am in St. Louis, Missouri, USA. And have you been glued to CNN for the last 10 days that we have? Yes, I have. <laughs> and continue to be so. Yeah, it's been an incredible time. So it's, it's interesting, isn't it, how um, what we found with this uh, program, this our podcast, is that we have so much in common. And we're kind of following each other's politics as part of that, really. But um, we, there's a kind of connection, isn't there? There really is. I don't really want to talk about politics, but the night of the election, it was so fun to follow Twitter from people all around the world. It's, we are so connected in, in so many of our ideas. So yeah, it's really exciting. So look, just, just tell us a bit of a, a, about your background because you, you know, you've got a, a real pedigree, um, uh, in, in education research and in fact um, one, one of the things that I, I thought was fantastic um, recently which was just I thought was a wonderful Twitter moment is that Dylan William uh, tweeted out a, a link to this fantastic paper which we'll talk about um, from IES paper in 2007 and he, he, he says I just realized I've never tweeted a, never tweeted a link to this uh, paper and so here it is and he, he followed up with I wrote that you know <laughs> And it's it like, was, I thought, yeah, go Patrice, you're just thinking that straight away. But that, that's like 2007, that's 13 years ago. You're well ahead of the curve compared with a lot of teachers in the UK. Well, it was so exciting to have such a goo, you know, put that out there on Twitter because it has been, it hasn't been out there a lot too much lately. Um, working on that guide was fabulous. I was the only K-12 teacher in the United States and everyone else were cognitive scientists. And I remember being in Washington, D.C., sitting at this table with all of these cognitive scientists and a kid in a candy store. It was absolutely thrilling to, to hear people so passionately talk about their work, but also knowing that I was able to use this in my classroom. I, I was at the table. So it was very exciting. And it's nice to see it come around again. So what, how did you get selected for it? I mean, how did you get involved? What was the connection? Well, uh, prior to 2006, the research done was done at universities, in laboratories, with college students. And doctors Henry Rodiger III, Daniel, authors of Make It Stick, 
wanted to uh, study how do students learn an authentic classroom. So they wrote a large grant, they got, and my classroom is where this research started. So it was a result of, of being involved with this research right from the get-go, invited to be on this panel for IES, the Institute of Education Science. It, it really stands a test of time. I mean, I was looking at it thinking, I mean, the recommendations from it are just so bang up to date. And um, it's, you know, so you talk about spacing, learning, interleaving, compiling graphics. So, you know, that dual coding aspect, mm -hmm. uh, quick quizzing. We can talk, and also a lot of stuff to do with helping students uh, time manage. So it's, it's, it's really, it's just, there's nothing in there where you think, oh, yikes, no, that was a bit of a dud. It, there's nothing like that, is there? It has held up throughout time hasn't it yeah and that's and that, does, that doesn't always happen i mean sometimes i look back at blogs i wrote only like five years ago and i think oh god you know was i really thinking that then uh, i've changed my mind completely about that and but this is a, it's it's really sound and um so anyway i mean emma what, what what's your take on it i mean you, you have you have you read this or are you are you kind of i've, read, I've read that paper but i'll tell you what i this Everywhere I go, every course I deliver on, every session that I run, there's a quote at this book that I read at every single piece of training that I do. And it's interesting, Patrice, that you said that you were excited when you were sitting around that table with all those cognitive science um, sort of bods. Because this section in this book, it, I can feel that when, you, when I read it. Am I allowed to read it? Can I read it? So it's really from Powerful Teaching. Go on, yeah, go on. from Patrice's book, Powerful Teaching. And it says, as educators, we must look forward using evidence-based strategies to propel and guide student learning. We must stop driving instruction with anecdotes and fads, stop reinventing the wheel, stop riding in circles when it comes to classroom instruction. Instead, it's our responsibility to ask for evidence, evidence for which strategies are effective, not just which strategies are popular, evidence for why we teach the way we teach, not just because we've always taught that way. Most importantly, after reading this book, we hope that on the first day of the school year, you won't be asking, what should I teach? Instead, you'll be asking, how should I teach? How can I turn my teaching into powerful teaching? The science of learning exists. Now it's time to unleash it. I just, I read that every single time. I go, <laughs> like, right, let's unleash the research beast. <laughs> absolutely love that quote. Love it. You know, I was so fortunate. So like I said earlier, this research started in my classroom and Pooja Agarwal from, she was working at Washington University at the time along with uh, Drs. Rodiger, Daniel. And so although they were at Washington University, Pooja from day one came and worked with me in classroom. So together we have worked, we still work together, but it was so wonderful to be able to write this book with her with, with the passion of learning, the science of learning that, that we had lived for so many years. So I just love that. It's time to unleash it. I think mm -hmm. it's a brilliant line. <laughs> you, desc you describe early on as this sort of feeling that, um, so, and, and 
this par- the parents are a part of it. And it's almost like one of the motivators for you is seeing how parents are starting to understand why the sort of, you know, retrieval practice, uh, you know, testing that was going on was actually helping them. And then you talk about this triangle. Um, and I know that you've been talking to Emma, to Kate, to Kate Jones as well. And she's mm-hmm. quoted you about this triangle of the parents and the students. So tell us a bit about that. Why, why are parents part of this? Because not everyone mentions them. Actually, I call it the teaching triangle. And this book for parents started writing itself in my head long before powerful teaching. It was, um, as I worked with my students, I realized that parents are such an integral part of learning. From the time they're little, (laughs) Emma, you can certainly attest to this with your own, Um, and, and all through, and what I found is, as I was learning the research about using the science of learning, about devising strategies, about teaching my own students how to learn, they would go home and, and share, you know, metacognition and retrieval and, and all these terms with their parents. Yet, they didn't really know what their own children were talking about. And so, I really saw parents as an ally and and an important part of this triangle. And so at parent nights, at uh, teacher conferences, I I took whatever um, time I could have with parents to teach them about learning. And as I was touring around the United States, giving um, professional development about powerful teaching, a question that so often came every time. A question that was posed to me was, can we bring parents on board? And so as the pandemic started, I happened to uh, have a question given to me by Ross McGill, who asked me, so exciting. And boom, I knew it's time for this book to come out. It's just the parents are, are so important. What I would also stress to the parents is, you know, your child may have a teacher who, used, who uses research strategies, but your child may also have teachers that don't use research strategies. But you as the parent are constant. And so you are aware of how your child learns, about how best to help your child study. That's the gift because you will always have that. You will always be able to reinforce learning with your own child. Oh, Patrice, this is singing to me because I had a webinar earlier, a webinar planning meeting with our director of primary education. And in two weeks, I've got to do an evening webinar for all of the parents, for all of the children in our trust about how best to support learning at home. And all the things you've mentioned so far, I've gone tick. Yes, I've got that in it. (laughs) And I 
actually went on your website today and looked at the books that you've got and it says the parent one is pending it's out soon so i for one cannot wait to get my hands on that because i'll be re referencing that to all of the parents across our trust i love that idea of being them being the constant regardless of the shifting sands of whoever stood in front of them in the classroom that is absolute gold absolute gold i love how you, you found a really good way of um so is this something that you, you talked about with Pooja quite a lot is how to communicate the idea. So, for example, uh, in a retrieval practice, it's very, you, you sort of drill it down to getting uh, information out of students' heads, not putting it into their heads. And, that, and I just think that kind of just says it, doesn't it? It's so simple. Um, and, and then you've got other ones for the other four in, in the tools in, in, in the powerful teaching. Did you talk a lot about how to, or did that just come to you organically? I practice what I preach. I, these are the things that I had done in my classroom for so many years. Mm. And when I would talk to parents about retrieval, it, it really helped change a lot of conversations that parents, instead of, you know, the child comes when the parent says, how was your day? <laughs> right? Or good day? Instead, simply being able to ask your child specific questions about what they learned, not only really increased and helped dialogue between parent and child. But every time you do this, you are helping your child retrieve the information. And so something that I think is a great thing to do is in weekly, uh, if you home to parents, include a couple questions from learning that week along with the answers. And those are great dialogues that parents can have with their children. And it's a form of retrieval. And also talking with parents about spacing. So parents may be studying with their child, but if you, if you bring that learning forward to the next month and include some of those questions, the parents know that spaced retrieval is really important now. And so they are also enforcing that learning. It just, it changes the dynamic. And I've had parents tell me that their conversations are rich, that, that they can really start having at, at a young age dialogues about true learning and and what a gift that is for parents and children. Oh, that's brilliant. Do you think space, do you think spacing, because um, I, I, I mean, I, we can get really nerdy about this. But <laughs> I, I, I think one of the hardest things, even with teachers to, to communicate, is the difference between space practice and interleaving. But you, again, you, you, seem, you, you kind of nail that in the book. But So how do you, what's your sort of recipe for getting kids and, and parents to understand the difference? Well, to me, spacing is retrieval over time. You know, it's intentional. Whereas interleaving is where you, you look at similar 
particular topics. Uh, you're able to compare and contrast. And so interleaving is more of that being a child to, to describe similar things. For example, say I was teaching revolutions. And I might be teaching about the French Revolution, and I might be teaching about the Russian Revolution, and I might be teaching about revolutions. And so if I ask a question such as, um, how did social pyramids change as a result of the different revolutions? What the student is doing is they're thinking about the French Revolution and how did society change. They're thinking about the Russian Revolution and how did society change. And so they're able to take this similar topic of revolutions and, and compare and contrast and discriminate between the two, which is very different from spaced retrieval. Mm. Does that make sense to you? It does, and it, I really like the, the, the thing about questioning as well that you mentioned in your book, page 42, for those who have known <laughs> the entire book, um, about how you talk about moving from pyramid learning to powerful learning, which kind of links to that idea of questioning. For people who haven't yet got the book or who want to understand that move from pyramid to powerful learning, can you just sort of articulate it? Because we had Mark McCourt on recently, who again was kind of, talking about the oversimplification of Bloom's taxonomy. And you, you talk about that as well. So it'd be really nice to hear your take on it. It, it does not, the, a pyramid of learning does not really have to be a pyramid of learning. You don't need to start with simple recall and build yourself up to critical thinking. Instead, learning is messy, right? And so, Every stage is important, but it doesn't have to be in that particular order. Bring in creative thinking, bring in critical questions. With my own students, for um, whenever we would begin a new unit or a new chapter, I would begin with an essential question. And often it was humorous because the students would chuckle and say, oh, right, like I'll be able to answer that. And of course they did brilliantly, but I didn't just start at the basics and then finally end with this essential question. It was weaving, it's, it's kind of like a dance, weaving in those different parts of the pyramid all throughout your teaching. I really like that because there's far too many people who are locked into first we do this and then we do this and then we do this and it's kind of like teaching by numbers almost. I, I really like that that refreshing take of actually every learner at every stage deserves to have those kind of questions asked of them to promote that kind of thinking. Right. It's, it's messy isn't it? and you, you do get some pushback from people who who don't like, don't like it to be reductive and, and, and want it all to be about quizzing little bits of knowledge, but you're, you're, not, really, you're not saying that at all. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm interested in, in, in the sort of, one of the things I'm fascinated about with you is your partnership with the researchers because, um, you know, you've got this teaching background and K-12, so a broad spectrum. And ha but have, have you sort of picked up a kind of researcher's mindset when you're evaluating practice or do you, do you think that teachers generally 
can learn from that, you know, measuring things and knowing what makes an impact. I was very fortunate to work with some amazing people. One of the reasons why I really wanted to get into the research at the very back in 2006 was because I knew my students were learning and I knew my students did well, but I didn't know why. And so, in fact, my superintendent had asked me specifically, why do I want to get involved in bringing this research to my classroom? And that was the answer I gave. I want to know why my students learn. And there are brilliant teachers all over the world that do an amazing job of teaching. They might not know the research. They might not know the why. But the why is here. And once I began to understand that, that's when I got to really um, develop all strategies, you know, the forced cognition, retrieval, retrieve taking, and metacognition sheets, and, and all of these things they develop because I'm now aware of the why. So I, as educators, even if you have not yet learned the science of learning, I'm thinking you too might want to know the why you're learning and why they do well. Because once you understand that, you just, you can take this information and, and teach it to your students and start developing so many more. You're listening to Mind the Gap, presented by John Cat Educational. Over the past six decades, John Cat has supported teachers and school leaders with research-based, easy-to-use professional development books for the entire faculty. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com in the United States or johncatbookshop.com or elsewhere across the globe to find the latest titles. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Patrice Bain. Um, we've got a few more questions to ask Patrice and I'm going to kick off with the first one. Um, there's a little quote in the book of Patrice where it says, the better you understand the research behind the strategies, the more effectively you can adopt them in your classroom and you know your classroom best. Yeah. I love that quote simply for that last bit and you know your classroom best. Um, I think that's quite empowering for teachers to hear. So what advice would you give to a teacher if they're going to start to try and enact some research-led strategies in their classroom or research informed strategies? Well, right along there, when Pooja and I both say, you do you. Because as the teacher, you know your students, you know your administration, you know your parents, you know your community, you know your curriculum. And so, the science of learning is out there. There are strategies out there, but nobody knows your classroom like you do. Take, find what's available, but tweak them, make them your own. Mm. I think that's really crucial for teachers. 
I think that's hugely empowering for teachers to hear as well, because it can be quite um, overwhelming to start dipping into the world of research and thinking, oh my goodness, there's so much out there and I must do it in this way, in that format, using this resource with that. And so I, I think it's so refreshing to read that when, when you've got that big dollop of common sense that says, you know your classroom the best. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I, think, well, I, I try to use that i mean it's brilliant that quote i love it i i might borrow that because i i feel i often feel it's that you need to say i feel i say in, in all of my training it, it, which is i'm not telling you what to do i'm trying to help you decide what what to do because mm-hmm. and, and it's kind of it is a different way around isn't it like teachers have to make those calls do you find that some teachers are resistant to hearing about these uh research-based ideas because they feel that they're being directed it may be out there, but I am such an advocate of you do you. Um, my strategies, you can download all of them at uh, powerfulteaching.org slash resources. And I say, here are strategies I developed that you are free to use, but you are also free to tweak to absolutely make them your own. So I, I, I believe that teachers like to have a reference. Sometimes it's easier to to use something that might already be there, but also to have the freedom to make them your own. And I think that's real important. So if a teacher was going to, if a teacher was working in a school and they know that their school isn't particularly research informed, there's not a lot of sort of professional reading around educational research going on, but that teacher really wants to start to get to grips with, with using research informed strategies in the classroom. Where would you send them first or what would you think there would be a really good place for them to start? Powerful teaching. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Say I'm an early career teacher and I'm thinking, right, I really want to get off on the right foot from the get-go. Day one, it's my new class. I want to do some reading to help me start off on day one. Where would you send them? What would you say to do first? Well, I think just, you know, listen to some webinars. Truly check out Powerful Teaching because it makes it easy to understand. But I think what's most important and what I would always tell my students on the first day of school is I'm your teacher and I'm going to teach you how to learn. And so simply understanding the very basics of how we learn. This is not often taught in our teacher education programs. And so getting a grasp on the simple three steps, encoding, storage, and retrieval. You know, starting with the basics. I also, when I speak to teachers, I say, start small. You know, I had 14 years to develop the strategy that I came up with. And they'll say, where do I start? Where do I start? Start small. You know, practice retrieval. Teach your students about the steps of learning. And as you start to incorporate some strategies, go ahead and tie that back into learning. But I think, you know, again, we need to bring our parents on board as well and and letting them also know those basics of how to learn. I, 
another place I start is, and I will do this with my students, and I will say, have you ever studied really hard for a test and you didn't do well? Every hand in class always goes up. And I will ask parents, have you ever seen your child study for a test and they didn't do well? And they all, yes, I've seen that. I've, I've seen the, the sadness. And, and that's where I, I bring up metacognition, thinking about thinking, how we need to be able to help our students and help our own children make that discrimination between what they know versus what they don't. Too often, we study what we already know because it, it's familiar. It makes us feel good. It brings that illusion of confidence about. But coming up with some of these very simple strategies for early teachers, for parents, about how we can help our children, help our students really take effective strategies that are efficient so we're not wasting our time, that, that we can really get the most bang for our buck in, in learning and studying. Well, one of the things I think is, is probably, I don't, I don't know if it's true to say a distinctive feature, but it, it feels like it to me about the powerful teaching is, is the emphasis on metacognition because there are other areas like, you know, the learning scientists, they, they talk about space practice, interleaving and retrieval practice, but the, this, this big emphasis on, on the kind of learn to learn aspect is really explicit for you. Isn't it? And I love this. There's a photograph. It's superb. This in the book, there's a photograph of a kid who's written you a note saying, dear Miss Bain, your metacog, your metacogtriction will help me in other classes. I'll miss you. <laughs> That's fantastic. So how, how old is that child writing about metacogtriction? Uh, 11. 11 years old. But do you feel like teaching kids like that, you know, that age explicitly about this really pays off? Oh, absolutely. And, and back to that, my students would retain so much information that they thought, it was a trick that I was somehow tricking them. And so, you know, they all, the first day of school, I would teach them the word metacognition. And they're the ones that changed it to metacognition because it was these tricks versus the science of learning that was helping them learn. Do, do you have names for them? So the tools, because all the way through, but you're talking about power up and, so do you, when, when you're teaching or do you, when you're sort of supporting other teachers, do you feel like it's important to put a name on these things? And you talk about things like memory tools, retrieving, memorization shortcuts. There's so many different things, aren't there? So do you, do you give those things the names to the kids so they kind of know what you mean? I do. But more importantly, often we come up with the names together. So I will introduce metacognition and I will introduce strategies but then what would you like to call it you know I really think it's important for for students for children to take ownership of their learning and what a better way than to have them start developing their strategies often I would be giving my strategies the first quarter the second quarter 
But by the time the half year was over, I would be encouraging students to, to think about how they could come up with their own strategies to determine what they know versus what they don't. Their own strategies for retrieval, because they only had me for one year, but their learning goes on a lifetime. And I would love to get, so I had them when they were 10 and 11 years old, and I would love to get so often these notes when they were in college about how they would remember things specifically that they had learned in my class that boom, their college professors talking about it and they could go right there and retrieve that information. It works. Absolutely amazing. There's one little bit as, um, on page 15, yes, I am a super fan, uh, where you talk about you don't need anything fancy to do any of these things. Mm-mm. And you actually say an old-fashioned paper and pencil are perfect too. And I'd, I'd just really like to expand on that a little bit because there are so many resources, web-based materials, apps, platforms, all sorts of things saying that this, you know, this is research informed. This is, you know, how you do it. This is, this is going to solve all your problems. But I really like the fact that you just say on page 15, pencil and paper, (laughs) it's just as good. It's true. As a teacher, I can't tell you, a teacher who taught for a very long time, I can't tell you how many professional development meetings I went to where it was always this new shiny gadget, right? And the district was going to spend all this money and roll it out and there's excitement for one day and then it goes into a folder and into the file cabinet and never used again. And, and what I think is so brilliant is when you teach students, when you teach your children how to learn, it just takes us back to basics. We don't need all these shiny new objects. We just simply need to communicate, to know how to learn, to know how to retrieve, to know if you know it or not. And it's not (laughs) not so easy. Uh, I mean, it's, I, I, I think there's so many details about this. I, in, in the terminology, I mean, I, I, I do think it's so interesting how you framed it. Like you talk about feedback-driven metacognition. Mm-hmm. How does that, what's the feedback aspect of that? Is it, the, is it the students primarily generating their own feedback of what they already know? Or, or is, it, is this the same thing as, let's say, the parents quizzing? Is it, is it all of those things? It's all of those things. I would, you know... I would give the little mini quizzes every day. I would give uh, simply blast from the past questions where I would be spacing something out. But I was always making sure that students had an opportunity to bring something from mind to bring it forth. And so whether it was something that um, I was putting forth out there or something like the retrieval cards I created or metacognition sheets I created where the students had opportunities to get self-feedback. There are so many ways, but the key is the students, your children, once they know how to learn, they start to look for those ways to identify, do I know this or not? 
And what we ultimately want are independent learners. So as we, we begin by the teaching, just like parenting, you know, we begin with, with all of these skills that we teach as parents, knowing that it will lead to independence. The same is true with learning. We want independent learners. Wow, that's brilliant. I, I, that, it's, it's, so, it's so simple. Do I know it or not? I mean, it's such an event. Is, it easy, is it easier to do with certain um, aspects of the curriculum than others? So with things like developing writing and so on, it's like, you know, it's like a different thing from getting your math questions right or knowing your facts in, you know, social studies and so on. But what, did you find it worked better in some subjects more than others? I taught history and it worked so well in history but along with that, my students did a lot of writing in class. We did many essential questions and essays. And what I found is when students can critically think, and that's our goal as teachers, we want our students to critically think. When they can do that, it, it changes the writing. It's they, their passions are able to come through. They know how to back up uh, what they think with facts. And so, you know, again, it's all a process of, of helping our students create that independence in learning. Well, I, I want to go back to be 11 and be in your class. It's true. I, it, honestly, it's, it's brilliant. I, I love that. I can just picture your students just loving it, you know, wait, looking forward to your lessons. They did. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, you know what? Even more so, I did. Yeah, but... every, every day is an adventure, right? And when you think about how thrilling and exciting it is to be a teacher where you are able to take information and and help students build on that it's there is no other profession as as incredible as teaching well that's so exciting isn't it yes. so what's what's next for you patrice what's what you've got you this is obviously out from 2019 and the, the book which your the parent book is that where, where, where what's the status of that it will be out uh within a month so I am, I am thrilled because this was my missing link. I've taught, I, I've, I've had my students, but this is the, this completes my teaching triangle. So I want to spend a lot of time really helping to get this word out there. The guide is, is small. It's, a little over 80 pages. It's paperback. It's less than $10. I wanted something so accessible for parents, not intimidating. I use a lot of my stories, but, but tips that I know that I used with my own children, uh, with parents that, that especially at this time right now, when parents are, are so frustrated with, with how much has been added to their plates as well. It doesn't have to be hard. 
You know, it doesn't have to be this big shiny object. We can take it back to basics and, and have learning Excel. It, it's, it's here. I, I, well, I'm going to buy one. <laughs> Even though my children are at university, I'm going to. I'm going to <laughs> it sounds brilliant, honestly. I, I'm, I can't wait to read it. So, Emma, how do, you, do you think you're going to be using these uh, Patrice's techniques in your home? Oh, God, yeah, definitely. I'm just, I'm just annoyed the book's not out before I do this blinking webinar. And <laughs> but it is, I'm, I've yet to meet a parent that says, I don't want to help my child. I don't want my child to, to retain information. The, the question that you get asked at parent-teacher meetings all the time is, how can I best help my child? Trying to articulate how you teach in a parent-teacher meeting it, you can't do that. But now, hopefully, we can go, right, haven't got time to explain it all, but here you go. <laughs> this is what you need. Read Patrice's work because there's so many parents who are desperate to support their children but just don't necessarily have the understanding or the access to the information to help them do that in the most effective, efficient way whilst you're still trying to cook dinner, work, look after the smaller children. You want stuff that works and stuff that's accessible and not fluffy. And it sounds exactly what every single parent wants. So yeah, I'm going to have multiple copies <laughs> around, Patrice, definitely. Thank you. I did a national survey and the top two things that parents wanted, number one was to understand how we learn. And the mm -hmm. second was how best to help their child. Mm -hmm. How many times have you been asked, how much is too much help? How much is not enough help? Parents want to know, and we can help. Yeah, well, I, I just think it's brilliant. I mean, in fact, I think for both for the student and, and the parents, with the stuff that you're providing um, is, is, is excellent. And it, it's, it's a clarity, there's a coherence to it, there's a simple ideas, it's so well expressed, and I, I can't recommend it enough. I have to say, I think we need to, we're going to have to finish now because we are... <laughs> Honestly, you're, you're just such an inspirational teacher to talk to. And uh, I feel like um, I've been looking forward to this for ages and it's been really wonderful to listen to you. I love the whole enthusiasm. I, ho I hope that what? one day we're going to meet in person. That would be really great. Yes, yes. Oh, that would be lovely. I'm Did hoping in... Patrice. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping in 2021 I will get over there. Well, so this has been such a joy just to talk to you like we're in the same room. So thank you. Thank you for having me on your program. Thank you. But you, you can have, have to virtually sign our box, Patrice. Yeah. <laughs> signed our copies. <laughs> it's been so nice, so nice to talk to you. I've wanted to talk to you for since forever. I remember being in the gym and listening to you on a podcast and thinking, I want to talk to Patrice. She's amazing. So thank uh, you so, so, so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I, I'm actually beaming. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you so much for joining us. And I'm going to just sort of have to wrap up now and say thank you to all, everyone listening on our podcast, uh, on the, all the different platforms and also watching on YouTube. And Join us and, uh, for future episodes of Mind the Gap. Go back and listen to all our previous episodes if you haven't picked them so far. And thanks once again to Patrice Bain for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mind the Gap. We hope you enjoyed hearing what's on our minds today. For much more great content, make sure to check out the video version of our show, which includes additional segments and features. 
Visit edcircuit.com or go to YouTube and subscribe to our channel, Mind the Gap with Tom and Emma. See you next time.